Welcome to the Church Pulse Weekly Podcast, featuring leadership author and podcaster, Carrie Newhoff, and Barna President, David Kinneman. This podcast delivers unprecedented insights every week into how church leaders are navigating constant change in an era of disruption and discusses new digital tools to help you stay connected in real time to the people in your church. And now, your hosts, Carrie Newhoff and David Kinneman. Well, welcome to Church Pulse Weekly. It's Carrie Newhoff here and uh, joined, joined by a mobile remote David Kinneman, who's on the road today, out of studio. Hey, Carrie, how's it going? It's going great. I'm still in Southern California, but not up in our home studio of Ventura today. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Work on the road. Isn't it nice that like life is open again? Isn't that great? Oh, man. I was sitting in a meeting this morning and um, just thinking to myself, because no one was wearing masks in the room. And even though it's Southern California and L.A. County, which is one of the more uh, strict counties through the last two years, I was thinking to myself, it is really nice to see people's faces and to feel like I can actually, uh, for, for glasses wearers, you know, uh, like like you, you know, wearing masks, I always fogged it up. So it sort of oh, sometimes just take my Don't my live in Canada, off. man. I've been in a perpetual fog like two winters now. <laughs> it's terrible. So it's like, do you drop the mask below your nose or do you pop your glasses up? It's, it's, a, it's an ethical bind, man. Hard to do. I came to uh, taking them off all the time and then sticking in my shirt, my glasses, and uh, just doing the very best I could. But I think I would always, when I go to grocery shop or do different things, I'd always end up picking out the wrong thing. So <laughs> <laughs> It is hard. It is hard. And the anti-fog stuff doesn't really work. At least that's been my experience anyway. So Church Pulse Weekly is not brought to you by the anti-fog uh, glassing. <laughs> Correct. We <laughs> drop them as a sponsor. Yeah. That's right. So now we can tell our our true thoughts. (laughs) Yeah, it really didn't work. We dropped them. Oh, yeah. Well, anyway, hey, it is good to be able to do this uh, interview. And actually, I conducted it a little bit before we recorded this part of the podcast. And I got to tell you, David, I got some hope. Like, if people are ready for hope, they're going to love this episode. Andy Bird just has great things to say about Gen Z. Yeah, I can't wait to to listen in and um, thanks for doing the interview. And um, when oh. it comes to the when it comes to the um, the data we're collecting, I have mm-hmm. uh, maybe equal proportions of hope in this in the sense that uh, when I see and understand the heartbeat of this generation towards the world, uh, the the things that they're working on, things they're passionate about, they're smart, they're connected, they're those young Christians who are motivated and on mission with Jesus are as motivated and on mission with Jesus as I think any generation that we have tracked in, in the past. Now, again, they're, they're a small segment. They're maybe in some ways smaller than other generations. Um, often when I look at like the boomer generation, what's interesting is they were much more Christianized and more boomers in North America had some sense of the Christian story um, than, than compared to younger generations. But when you sort of isolate out those who are really passionate about the gospel and you look at younger generations of millennials and Gen Z, um, their generation is much more spiritually dark, but those who are on fire for, for the Lord, to use an old phrase, uh, are very, very motivated around that. And it's a, it's a really, really encouraging and inspiring vision that I think the data show. Well, that's what Andy is discovering. And what's really encouraging is I think a lot of, you know, senior pastors, it'd be easy to dismiss the next generation. Um, but there is there is some zeal there. There's some joy there. There's some passion and commitment there, which is super encouraging. So what in particular are you seeing with Gen Z, David? Well, one of the things in our data we find that when it comes to evangelism training, only one in five self-identified Christian Gen Zers 
19% said that they've ever received training when it came to evangelism. So I, I actually think we've dropped the ball in a lot of ways with this very impassioned generation. Um, you know, obviously there's some discussion around the, the role of evangelism. Uh, we had found that, you know, almost half of, of Christian millennials said that they thought it was sort of wrong to evangelize. I actually think a lot of what's happening is there's a real rethinking of the how and the why because their generation is different, they've got to build a different set of bridges and they've seen evangelism, you know, abused and, and, and misused and, and sort of, um, you know, um, the false, the false promise of evangelism, just to count numbers and count conversions. But I do think that there's a real sense this generation is looking for that kind of uh, equipping when asked about three and four churched self-identified Christian teens. So they think their church does a good job of equipping them to have conversations about their faith with someone who is not a Christian. Um, Again, that's so encouraging. I, yeah, yeah. So, so I think there's a, a wide range. And then the last set of data I want to just mention uh, before we get to the interview is um, a familiarity with the Great Commission. Half of church Christians, 48%, said they'd never heard of the Great Commission, a study we we done called Translating uh, the Great Commission. And um, half, 48% of church churchgoers say they don't know what that phrase means. Remember, that's a mm. phrase that's not, it's sort of extra biblical. That's not, a, a, Jesus didn't say, here, I'm going to give you the Great Commission. He just said, here's what I want you to go do. And so the Great Commission is a particular phrase that I think is, you know, like it's very important that we educate people about what that is. And it's, it's, um, it's something that's, um, you know, really losing traction. Less than half of church Christians correctly identified the scripture associated with the Great Commission. So even when we, even among those who knew what it meant, um, there was a, um, a, a lot of people who has had no idea of the scriptural reference. So that's just a, the, the, you know, the bare bones of what it means to start in faith and then to begin to understand that once you're a Christian, part of your mission is to go out and make disciples of all nations. And um, it's just clear that, that a lot of people are really missing it, that the, the Great Commission is missing in action. Well, you know, like like I said, what Andy is discovering, which is so encouraging, is that he is seeing hope in Gen Z. And I know for a lot of church leaders, it's felt like a famine over the last few years and maybe prior to that. So if you're a little bit hungry, you're going to enjoy this. And the stats that you just quoted, David, were from a Barna report released this past year called Reviving Evangelism in the Next Generation. So if you want to get more information, you can go to barna.com slash access to learn more. For a bonus, use the coupon code CHURCHPULSE and you'll get 20% off your annual subscription, which is great. So that's Barna Access. Uh, you can get that at barna.com slash access. And with that, um, maybe we should jump into the interview. Sounds great. Let's listen in. Well, I'm excited to have Andy Bird with us today. Andy is part of the leadership team at the University of the Nations, YWAM Kona. Yeah, how would you love to be placed in Hawaii? That sounds pretty awesome. He's been with uh, Youth with a Mission, YWAM, for 15 years, traveling to many different nations with a heart to raise up a revival generation. Andy and his wife, Holly, have dedicated their lives to spiritual awakening in a generation. Together, they've helped birth the Fire and Fragrance Ministries and also the School of the Circuit Rider. That sounds fascinating, Andy. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So honored to be with you guys today. It's going to be fun. Yeah. So um, let's start here. The last couple of years have been upending for almost everyone, and I'm sure the same with you being headquartered in Hawaii. Um Tell us a little bit about how the changes has impacted YWAM and also the SEND. Yeah, yeah, it's been, of course, insane for everybody. And I think uh, the first year, you know, 
2020 and into 2021, uh, it threw our whole world into a disarray in terms of, you know, mm. global mission, the inability to travel. Um, and so that really affected our short term schools. We still had, you know, a fair number of students coming once we got past the initial like six months of COVID where really no one knew what was going to happen. But um, mostly it's been difficult just figuring out where we can go and how we can get there and all the rules to get into different nations. Um, and then, of course, some, a lot of our long-term workers, you know, dealing with major um, lockdowns and, you know, major difficulty when it comes to continuing on with what they were called to. So I would say the first year, year and a half was pretty exhausting uh, for a lot of our teams and a lot of our long-term and short-term. But really, in the last six months, um, you know, we're pretty well back on course. And um, I think our last school from Kona went to about 40 different countries um, our last quarter and uh, this quarter similarly. So we don't have quite as many international students as we would like because of the difficulty of getting into the U.S. over the last, you know, months and plus. Mm. But uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're encouraged. Things are getting much more open again and much more back to normal. And then, of course, the sand, no one really wanted to talk about stadium gatherings for, you know, 2020 and at least a big portion of 2021. So we, we were forced to delay most of our gatherings. And because of that, we have three of them here in 2022. So we just pushed everything into this year. And um, we're going for it now in Kansas City, Oslo, and Buenos Aires in Argentina. So it's going to be a wild year. Wow. Now, you know, you work with youth day in and day out. And there's an argument that maybe the next gen, like Gen Z and younger millennials, have had it harder than anyone in terms of mental health, isolation, and everything that we've seen, sort of the crazy that that often passes for online these days. What are you seeing on the front lines working with the next generation, Andy? Yeah, I would, I would definitely say that that's true. One of the ways that we have talked about it here is that perhaps Gen Z and young millennials have had to fight the greatest ideological battle of almost any generation because of the, the mm. access that ideologies have to their minds, their hearts, their eyes, their attention, their affections, all of it. So we certainly see that battle. And um, the students that come through our schools, um, you would know, have anywhere from maybe 300 to 600 students coming every three months here. We definitely see that. And um, yet at the same time, um, I would say that I have never seen a generation in my, this would be like kind of the third generation I've worked with in YWAM for the last 22, 23 years. That is, um, that when someone really does decide to go all in for Jesus, the level of wholeheartedness, um, is surpasses anything I've seen yet. And so though, though the ideological battle has been intense, the fervor and the zeal in Gen Z um, to reach their generation and to truly make a difference has been pretty unparalleled in our experience of working with young people. Do you have any insight into what that is, like what's driving that? What's well, I'm definitely not a, an expert at this, but it does seem that you know every generation in some ways is a reaction to the previous generation. And it seems that, you know, we can, millennial generation is now old enough that, of course, it can be well documented and, you know, well understood. They're in the workforce, they're leading. So the personality or the, the indicators or markers of the millennial generation seem pretty clear now. And in some ways, Gen Z is reacting or responding to some of those things and some of the weaknesses hmm. of 
millennials might have been because there were great strengths for a millennial generation as well. But some of the weaknesses might have been um, might have been ambiguity, maybe a little bit of lethargy or sometimes even some passivity as uh, these are generalizations and only the weak sure. side, not the strong side. But I feel Gen Z has very much reacted to that. And um, they're as as they get wholehearted for the Lord and the ones that we're working with, um, there's a determination, there's a zeal, there's a wholeheartedness, there is an activism in the heart of this generation that in a ways is, is probably a response to some of the weaknesses that they felt they saw in the previous generation or some of the even accusations over that generation. And so we have not had a hard time motivating Gen Z. It's more about getting their zeal channeled in the right direction. But their love for the scripture is totally different than what we wrestled through with millennials, just maybe trying to get people to even want to read the scriptures. Seems like hmm. deconstruction was a, a common theme among, you know, millennials, at least in our experience. Uh, with Gen Z, it's, we're finding so much hunger for the Bible, so much hunger for evangelism, so much hunger to make a difference and a, and a real zeal. And not that that wasn't present in the millennials, it certainly has been and is, but maybe even stronger as a whole in the, those that we're working with in Gen Z. Hmm. Yeah, you know, there's an argument. Um, <clears throat> Tim Keller's made it, I think, on this podcast and in other places, but that identity has become such a big buzzword these days. And that's true in sexual politics, it's true in politics, etc. But, you know, you mentioned earlier ideology. So there's they've had to navigate polarized ideology like no other generation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how do you see identity playing out in Gen Z? It seems mm. that everyone is affixing their identity to something these days, whether it's a political party, a tribe, whether it's, uh, you know, so many different things. Uh, to what extent is identity part of that? And do you think that explains some of the zeal that you see in that generation? Yeah, yeah, you're, I mean, you're so right in that. And I think um, identity is is maybe the core issue for Gen Z. And, you know, maybe you could say it is for every generation, I'm not sure. But certainly the ideological battle and um, identity issues over things that didn't used to be questioned are now being questioned, which drives that identity conversation much deeper into really the, the, the very core of what it means to be human, what it means to be um, made in the image of God. And so because of that ideological battle, essentially upending things that didn't used to be questioned as much in culture and society, I, that's part of why I feel that the, the battle over this generation's identity is maybe more fierce than any generation before it. The way I would liken it in some ways is my grandfathers were the World War II generation. And uh, one fought on the Western, on the Eastern Front, one on the Pacific Front, or sorry, the, on the European Front, the Pacific Front. And, you know, I'm sure when they were born, um, the generation before them, their parents, I'm sure they had lots of things to say about them. And as they grew up in high school, I'm sure they said lots of things about them. Um, and I think as far as I understand, again, I'm not an expert on this, but when World War II hit and that generation laid their lives down with great sacrifice and by the masses willing to go and fight a battle, believing that it would lead to a greater freedom and a greater life and a greater liberty for people across the world and for their own families. Then we looked back and we named that generation the great generation or the hero generation. 
but no one called them the hero <laughs> generation when they were 16 or 17 or 18. Yeah, they didn't true. call them the hero generation until they had risen to the battle of their day. So I feel like um, that the Gen Z has the potential to be another hero generation. And I just think that when they realize that they are facing one of the greatest battles that any generation, certainly in American history, has ever faced, it's not necessarily a physical battle on real battlefronts across the world, but it's an ideological battle over what is truth, what is love, um, you know, who is God, what does it mean to be made in the image of God. And these battles have far greater and far much more greater reaching implications than even some of the battles in our history. So I feel that as as they're really enlisted in the battle, what I see is is Gen Z becoming firm in their identity when they recognize the battle that's raging around them and the stakes of the battle, like what's at stake. And what I see is this zeal, this vigor rising up for their generation to experience real love real truth, real transformation, similar in the sacrificial sense to probably what drove our grandparents to great hmm. sacrificial levels to believe for a real freedom. That's fascinating. And I hadn't heard quite that take before or the connection to the greatest generation. Talk talk about um, the opportunities that you see. Clearly, you're not discouraged. Like, yeah. I'm picking up a real optimism there are a lot of discouraged church leaders listening. What should they know about Gen Z? And then where should they see the opportunity? Yeah, well, you know, Barna has actually been extremely informative for me in this journey. And one of the things that I think um, that Barna basically unearthed through research was the lack of familiarity with the Great Commission. So the mm. term, you didn't even know what it meant. If I remember right, only 17% of churchgoers today even know what the Great Commission is and could kind of state where it is in the scriptures. And yet one of the, one of Barna's recent studies with the IMB showed that among Gen Z believers, dedicated Gen Z believers, that over 50% would consider foreign missions as a future vocation. So when you put those two things together and you go, when, when you say to Gen Z, Hey, do you, would you be willing to go anywhere in the world to make a difference for the brokenness, the injustice, the poverty, the unreachedness? Over 50% of dedicated Bible-believing Gen Z was like, yeah, I would do that. But then if you yeah, say, insane. well, it's insane. Uh, and I have to think, I don't know, Barna would know better not when we would have started asking these questions, but I have to think that's the most missionally-minded generation in history. Has over been 50%, a while. Yeah. has ever been a generation where over 50% that are Bible-believing, dedicated, would consider for missions. But then you couple that with the lack of knowledge on the Great Commission, and you find that you have a generation that is eager, willing, and voluntary, but biblically illiterate and not grounded in the theology of even what they're willing to do. So to me, this is a great opportunity. It's it, when you have eagerness and willingness and voluntary, you know, voluntariness, I think you have moldable clay. You have everything you could ask for. And all that's needed then is, the, in a way, that strong biblical foundation, which really is permission and understanding on how to walk out what God's already placed in their heart, this pre-wired desire to make a difference, to see uh, the mercy and the justice and the compassion of God in the nations of the earth, to see the unreached reach. So the opportunity I feel that's in front of us is to give a giant permission slip to Gen Z 
to walk out what's been put in their hearts, I think, by God as a generation. And that permission slip is a strong biblical foundation. It's a framework to understand what does the kingdom of God look like? What is the great commission? What is the mission of the church and the mission of every believer? And that's the, I I hate to say, that's the easy part. The hard part Mm -hmm. is getting a generation to be voluntary to be, get a generation to be willing, to be so surrendered they would go anywhere in the world for the sake of the gospel. That's the hard part. But if they're willing to do that, with that kind of hunger and teachability, I feel like there's almost nothing this generation couldn't do when it comes to even global mission and the kingdom because of that eagerness. How are you connecting with them? Are they coming to you? Are you going to them? Is it a bit of, uh, like, it sounds like you're not, you're having the opposite experience to most church leaders trying to get families back, trying to get young adults back, trying to get, you know, empty nesters back to church. It it doesn't seem like you are suffering a deficit. Yeah, I would say it's a little bit of both, you know. So the send is in in a way we're kind of going to and we're drawing people to these catalytic gatherings. And of course, that's not about necessarily getting them into YWAM. That's one of our missional outcomes, but that's foster care and adoption and high schools and universities. and you know, our, our message even that we feel like young people are gathering to today is, um, is really like a radical call to wholehearted Christianity. And I think that's what's in their hearts. So when we can put mm. language to what's already inside of them, I don't think they, they hold back. And our experience has been that if we will, if we will give them that kind of language and invitation, like you can live for a dream bigger than yourself. You can live for a cause greater than yourself. You can live wholehearted, radical and sold out to God. Um, that in our experience has been drawing Gen Z in a remarkable way. And so some are, you know, many are coming because they're hearing that language and they're feeling that invitation. And then of course we're out there as well on, you know, college campuses and high schools and, um, you know, doing these catalytic gatherings. So it's a little bit of both for sure. But that language for us has been the key is this is a generation that's essentially saying like, I want a mission. I want something worth living for. I want something worth dying for. I'm not content with comfortable, safe Christianity. Um, I want to do something. I want to do something radical for Jesus. So I can hear some older pastors who are listening to this thinking to themselves, well, that's great, but I feel like that's what I've been doing for the last 20 years. And there are fewer and fewer people each year. Are there particular ways you're expressing it, Andy? Are there certain idioms or cultural um, connection points that you've discovered that really resonate with Mm. Gen Z? That's a great question. Like has the Um, method, the the, the message is the same. But yeah. I'm wondering if the method has varied at all. I would say this, and there's probably a lot of great answers to that question, but I would say one of the main methods for us has been high empowerment. Um, so really mm. empowering young people at 18, 19, 20, that you really can make a difference. And you may still be figuring out your, you know, strong theology. You might still be working your way through the Bible for the first time. You know, this is, this is just where we're at. But um, even now, God can use you, wants to use you. You can make a difference and uh, you can make a difference right now. And so if we had a strong, and this has, of course, been a long-term YWAM methodology, but if there was something I could point to, it would be that 
high empowerment culture. We won't leave in the next generation. I say this all the time and, you know, more uh, just yesterday or Friday when I was speaking to a group of Gen Z um, uh, students here is I feel like I believe more in Gen Z than they believe in themselves. And I feel Mm -hmm. that them rising up going, okay, someone wants to take us seriously. So I just feel we need to take seriously the gifts and callings of God in this generation and give them permission and empower them, even in their immaturities, even in their weaknesses, even as they're still growing, that they can really make a difference right now. Well, that kind of makes sense. It's youth with a mission, not youth preparing for a mission, not youth hoping for a mission, not youth maybe with a mission someday, but you're really empowering people. What are the, obviously there's strengths and weaknesses to that. What are the strengths and weaknesses to empowering an 18-year-old, arguably before she or he is ready? Yeah, it is the hardest thing I would say. I think it was Einstein that said premature responsibility breeds superficiality. And, um, mm-hmm. and so we're always trying to you know, walk that line in a pastoral way. When is a leader ready to be empowered? Uh, but when is it too early? And that's going to actually create um, so much pressure that it creates superficiality. So I think, you know, we've adopted a mindset that is like, hey, we're, uh, you know, Jesus empowered his disciples when they were really still working their stuff out. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, making lots of mistakes along the way, but that those types of mistakes are actually the greatest environment for learning and growth. And so we do see young people accelerating in their maturity and their growth because of the environment of the scriptures, environment Mm. of the power of the Holy Spirit, environment of life on life discipleship. And so the holistic environment allows people to fail forward. And of course, you know, we're not wanting to empower people that still have major issues with freedom in their own lives. You know, we're looking at integrity. We're looking at all those things. But most of the, I don't know, most young people that we're working with are overcoming some of those things fairly quickly. And it's more just immaturity, but immaturity you know, deserves a chance to grow into maturity through experience and through leadership. And so it, there are strengths and weaknesses, but we're always going to err on the side of multiplicational leadership, empowering young people and walking with them as they make their mistakes. Uh, it's my own journey. It's kind of the journey of any of us that have been walking with YWAM. I, but I would say any of us that have ever led anything, someone believed in us through our mistakes and our immaturities and that's what kind of grew us into, you know, bigger and bigger roles or shoes or influence or impact. Is there anything in your model or that is your approach to equipping the next generation for YWAM or The Send that you're rethinking or alternatively, um, no, this is working so well, we're just going to pour fuel on it. Like, mm. what about the model? Because I think the argument or the dialogue, at least I'm having with a lot of church leaders is, yeah, there are parts of the model that are working and parts that are fundamentally broken. What are you seeing on your end, Andy? Yeah, that's good. I would say in general, the model of, you know, our simple model, which is quite adaptable, it's quite a flexible wineskin of training, discipleship, and then, you know, sending and empowerment is fairly, you know, universal. But we are rethinking mm. what's needed in that process to better equip young people and better harness that potential. So I think what we're always trying to adjust to and really is become students of the next generation. We almost need them to teach us what they need through, you know, 
their own experiences, the things they're battling with, the things that they're wrestling with, the ways the enemy is attacking them, the ways that the Holy Spirit is using them. So that's where we're constantly adjusting, going, what what biblical content is most essential in the early stages of formation? What kind of community and life and living is necessary? Where are the weaknesses that need addressed and where are the strengths that need harnessed? And I would say we're in a constant adjustment. In, in YWAM, the, mm. the, con- the concrete's always wet, so to speak. And it's because it has to suit the next generation. We'll always be focused on youth. So we can't just, you know, build the concrete around Gen X and then it's concrete for the next three, four generations. It, we're just spraying it down constantly. Now it's got to be able to mold and, and harness the potential of the millennials and now Gen Z and after that. So that's where we're mm. really rethinking things and going, um, you know, what content, what type, what discipleship tool, um, tools, what forms of empowerment, what ways of, um, walking out impact are, are most connected to how God has wired. We look at each generation as a DNA from God. How do we help bring that DNA to the forefront, champion it and empower them to walk in their God given calling? That's encouraging. So talk to us about the power of gathering. It's something so many leaders are struggling with. They think people have given up on gathering and we're going into a lot of isolated, you know, and I I believe you can have distributed gathering, but there's a lot of people who are just consuming. They're just watching on their phone and that's quote church. What is the power of gathering? How are you getting people to gather? Yeah, it's, that's so huge. And we are all wrestling with that. I think you know, it's some, this again, just be my opinion, but I think people are very weary of the online gatherings, at least that I'm working with. It's like, it's hard to almost get people on Zoom meetings anymore. They're Zoomed out after two years or, you know, Well, longer. there's Zoom, but then there's TikTok. Like, yeah, I don't think yes, Gen Z true. has any trouble with TikTok. No, like, talk no, about that. <laughs> like, they're, yeah. you're, you're trying to pull them away from TikTok to pay attention right. to what's in front of them. So what's under that? Yeah, well, I'd say our aim has been to, to get, you know, these, our young leaders and the young people we're working with to actually see TikTok as a real avenue for impact and ministry. So it's harnessing the potential of technology versus always trying to pull them away from something that maybe they are pre-wired to have an impact on. But at the same time, not getting that so out of balance that we think that that's everything. You could do full church and community and deep inner life and that, that of course can't take place. So gathering is essential. And, um, and so I think what helps with gathering though, is when we don't overly like lack of better term, like demonize that what's happening in technology rather help harness it, help champion it while also adding to it. You can't be just that. And, um, and so I think, you know, the, the understanding, even the history of the importance of gatherings, um, is very significant. And I think this generation needs a picture of, of gathering, a new picture, a new vision for why gather. That's the biggest thing I would say. If we can answer the why question for Gen Z, because they've mm. got it access to everything on their phones and like, why can't I just do it here, 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 here? I don't think we've always done a good job of answering the why question behind gathering. It might just be, well, because that's what we've always done, or that's what it means to be a Christian, or you have to go to church, or you need to be at mm-hmm. this. But those those aren't good answers. Like You're saying, need... I told you so doesn't work. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> so, But if you can answer the why question, this is an activated generation. Like It's naturally driven towards activism. They're not having a hard time taking to the streets when they're upset with something. They don't have a hard time... Mm 
making signs and, you know, and, and, uh, you know, expressing themselves through lots of different forms of activism. I don't know the church has always done a good job helping them understand what does it look like to be an activist believer and to harness that passion in a, in the way that we are meant to gather as the church and as the body of Christ. We've got to do a much deeper answer to that why question that when that's answered in the heart of a young person, I feel like they are very willing to gather, but they need that why question answered. Why is gathering important? Why is it significant we worship together? Why is it significant that we would fellowship around the word and around, you know, around the Eucharist or communion? Why are these things important? And when you can answer those, I feel like we're not seeing a hard, we're not having a hard time gathering Gen Z when the why question is answered. How do you answer the why question? What are some of the rationales you provide? Yeah. So on a large scale gathering, when it comes to like, you know, this would be maybe more in the send world or something like that. I think one of the disadvantages is that most of Gen Gen Z and millennials live their whole lives without ever seeing a a major spiritual awakening. So the last Mm -hmm. major spiritual awakening was really seen and lived out by the boomers, and it would have been the Jesus movement. So they they lived and they saw a nation that was in the sexual revolution, was in the height of the Vietnam War and the unrest towards governments, division, racism, racial riots. I mean, they saw it all. And, you know, you flash to a picture of what um, what it looked like in America in the 60s and early 70s. It's not a pretty sight. It's a drugs everywhere. But then that generation watched the Jesus movement break in and they watched us go from the sexual revolution to Jesus being on the cover of Time magazine and the Jesus revolution being a cultural byword. Like people knew about it. It was not just in the church. It invaded culture. So they live with a different expectation. The danger for Gen X and Gen uh, and millennials is we've never seen that. I never saw it. And I'm like yeah. in my mid 50s. Like, yeah, I don't right. remember that. That was out of my memory. Totally. Huh. So then so then we're in danger of living with a lesser expectation of what's possible because we've not mm. seen it. And so then gathering even like, why, you know, why gathering? But if you can help them understand historically, gatherings have been critical to the to progress of the kingdom of God across the earth, to the transformation of individual lives, to the national conversation and even global conversation that's created by gatherings, to even in, 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 you know, everyone stands maybe somewhere a little different here, but even just old school revival history that God has broken in in dark times and changed history through a move of his presence. The first great awakening and, you know, John Wesley and, and, uh, Whitfield, the second great awakening, Charles Finney and the camp meetings in the South, the circuit riders. And if, if, if uh, this generation, if, doesn't get versed a little bit in how God has moved in our history, then we don't necessarily know how to even have faith that God would move in our day. It just seems too dark. The headlines are too crazy. What could God even do? But when you read about what God did in 1857, when the philosophers coming out of France said that Christianity will cease to exist in one generation in America, and then in the next two years, two million people were added to the church through a sovereign move of God, then you start to live with a different expectation in this day. So part of the Mm. why question needs to be answered around the significance of what God has done in history, 
that will lead us to a faith and an expectation, which is really what's behind gathering, is faith and expectation, that God can do it again. He's done it before. He can do it again. And we've got to give Gen Z, millennials, I would say the body of Christ at large, a vision that God could move in a significant and national way and actually turn the tide of what of the difficulty we see going on around us. It is absolutely possible. And that kind of vision is what leads people in some ways to gather in faith that God could move at any moment. Does Gen Z and the people you're working with today, do they have a critique of the churches they were raised in? Like if they were sitting down with their senior pastor being totally honest, what would they say? Yes, absolutely. And, you know, we work hard um, here to deal with and help remove and alleviate cynicism. You know, we just, we have just, just taken a real stand against unhealthy deconstruction and really getting to the root of offense and bitterness in people's hearts and issues of forgiveness. Um, so we really try and, and create a very um, life-giving and positive environment towards the bride of Christ. And that's very important to us. Um, but if, you know, if there was critiques, um, you know, coming out, I would say lots of things could be said here. And I hate to speak for everybody in this. So maybe just one of the things that I do hear commonly is uh, Gen Z wants, I would say they want it wrong. Um, they're looking for something a little less produced. And I think that um, the modern meme culture, in some ways, it has, um, you know, how satire reveals a little bit of underlying truth. And, you know, whether satire is the best way to do it or not, I'm not saying, but it just underlines a little bit of truth. And, and it, it points to an overly produced culture that is hmm. so produced, it doesn't always feel as authentic or raw as or real. And I think what we find again and again as students come is they're just hungry for the raw, raw God, you know, raw worship, raw the raw presence of God, raw conversation. Um, this generation has no issues talking about uh, things that would have absolutely been maybe too shameful to be talked about in previous generations. They have no issues talking about it. I think they want a picture. They want a raw expression of Christianity. And some of the critique is how, how overly produced we can become. It can just so down to the minute, so pre-rehearsed and, you know, so pre-recorded. And I just think there's a desire for authentic, raw, life on life, and even uh, meeting God in that raw form. And that would be one of the main things I think we see in here with those that, are, that we're walking with. Andy, it's great to have an infusion of hope. Thank you so much for joining us. If people want to learn more about what you're doing, where can they learn more online? Yeah, for The Send, they can go to thesend.org. Of course, our social media channels, The Send as well. And then for YWAM Kona, it's just ywamkona.org, uh, which is, you know, the University of the Nations here and everything we do with YWAM in, in uh, Kona and, and uh, internationally. Andy, thanks so much for being with us. Well, leaders, the stats that David shared earlier and some of the things we talked about were from a report Barna released this past year called Reviving Evangelism in the next generation. To get more data and resources around topics like this, sign up for Barna Access Plus, the one place to find all things Barna. Go to barna.com slash access to learn more today. And as a special bonus, because you're listening, I use the code churchpulse, uh, all one word, just churchpulse, 
and you will receive 20% off an annual subscription. That's by going to barna.com slash access. Use the code churchpulse. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, we got more episodes like this coming up next time. Make sure you subscribe. And if this helped you, share it with a friend. And we'll see you next time on Church Pulse Weekly. Thank you for listening to the Church Pulse Weekly Podcast. Join us next week for more insights on navigating constant change in an era of disruption and how to stay connected to the people in your church.